Welcome to the Hunting for Purpose podcast, the official podcast home for all human design manifestors. I'm your host, Holly Marie, a 4-6 clinic manifester, a certified human design teacher, and a manifester who is following her own creative urge to facilitate a thriving global community of aligned, powerful manifestors. Wherever you are at in your manifester journey, or even if you are here just because you love a manifester and you want to understand them a little bit more, this podcast is the place for you. Stick around for in-depth teaching, for real-life practical tips and understandings of the manifester journey, and how to become aligned and powerful and thriving as a manifester. You are here for global impact. You are here to change the world. The time is now. The journey is yours. This podcast is your home. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunting for Purpose podcast. Today, we've got another guest episode. I'm super stoked to bring this guest episode to you because this is a person that I have loved spending time with and loved working with in my own personal capacity. Um, And I know that she has a great deal of wisdom to bring to you today. So it's really exciting. It's really exciting for me whenever I get to bring guests on the podcast that I have a personal journey and I have a personal relationship with because we can go into such awesome areas of depth and really highlight, highlight their skills and highlight their specialty. So Without talking too much about it, I would love to welcome on the beautiful Brittany Rittner. Welcome, Brittany, Brittany Ritter, not Rittner, Ritter. Welcome, Brittany. (laughs) Hello. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited. I enjoyed talking to you, so let's just, yeah. (laughs) Right, right. Now, Brittany is a coach. She works with women to develop safety so that they can move into those next level versions of themselves. Um, Brittany is human design and gene key certified, also working on a trauma certification. I know you do a lot of work with um, human design in parenting and for children and you're a manifesting generator. So it's very classic for you, right? You just bring in a whole bunch of different pieces of everything moving all the time. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about your work what is what's the kind of stuff that you do yeah well I'm so multi-passionate so I do everything no um (laughs) (laughs) um I do focus mainly on using human design and gene keys to work with women to help them kind of like you mentioned find safety heal trauma get out of their non-self get into alignment so that they can start to claim those desires that they truly want so that they can attain that freedom that they're looking for so that they can, you know, have their cake and eat it too, because we can have both fun fact. You can have a family and a, and a high power career. Why the hell not? So that's kind of like what I do. And we do that by getting you into your aligned energetics and by helping you learn how to make aligned decisions and do it in a way that feels good and feels safe so that you can hold yourself in those decisions and stand firmly in your power. Mm, I love it. Beautiful synopsis. That actually was very good. (laughs) That actually was very succinct. Yeah. That's such a hard question to answer usually, right? Like, uh, especially with that manifesto energy, it's like, I can't encompass all of the things that I am and that I do, but you just did that beautifully. Well done. It's usually really hard. (laughs) (laughs) It's a miracle. (laughs) 
can you can you tell us about your design what's your what's your full design and how did you come into this weird human design space how did human design find you so I am a three five I had to think about that I'm a three five manifesting generator um emotional authority uh, what else do you want to know about my design um I I love all the things, three, five. So like I experiment with everything. I have a defined throat center. So I talk nonstop because it's directly connected to my sacral. And I also talk a million miles per hour. So if you need me to slow down, please let me know. Um, I actually found human design, was it like almost three years ago now, I think. Yeah, that's, yep, about right. Because my first daughter was about a year old. Um, and when I found human design, it was like on a podcast and they were talking about like projectors and generators. And I was like, what is this? So, you know, in true Manny Gen 3-5 fashion, I was like, well, I'm going to look it up and follow this little nudge. And then I went down a deep, deep, deep rabbit hole. And my immediately thought, my immediate thought was, how can I use this to better understand my daughter so that I can improve like our relationship because I don't necessarily want my relationship with my daughter to be like my relationship with my mother. Mm. So how can I use this to better myself and also understand what she's needing and how can I support her? And that's how my relationship with human design began. Yeah. And I haven't looked back. (laughs) (laughs) And like most people, once you're down the rabbit hole, you do not come back out of the rabbit hole. Yes. Um, As a a mother myself, you know, in in a lot of my content, I speak about human design in parenting. It's not an area that I, that I specialize in, or I necessarily want to do a lot of teaching on, but I think that it's so relevant as a system for understanding our children and understanding those dynamics of those relationships particularly in recreating exactly as you said recreating relationships that are not like what we had with our parents yeah and I don't find that human design necessarily makes parenting any easier parenting is it's still parenting right it's still madness but it it creates some context and it creates some direction you, you've now had two kids, right? So you've got two beautiful daughters. How old is your youngest? She's nine months. So it's starting to get fun. Okay, yeah. <laughs> have, you, have you found that there's a particular kind of time in that childhood journey where human design actually becomes really relevant? Or have you just been using it kind of from the get-go, especially with your second? When they're really little, like I would say like with Rhea, you can start to see you can start to see her design now it probably took her about six seven months for you to be able to really see because when they're little it's very like needs based like eat sleep is there a roof over my head am I safe like you know um kind of situation they don't really have much of a personality but when she got to about six months six seven months you could kind of start to pick up she's my youngest as a four six emotional managing Mm. so you can see the six because she watches everything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like everything we observe everything and that's part of that speaks to like her learning style too which I don't know off the top of my head but um she observes just a lot of observing she's very like kind of serious and then we'll take action 
after she's watched her sister, right? My eldest is also a three to five. We don't, we don't slow down for anything. She's an emotional manager. And also there is no slow. There is no like, take your time. There is no like, wait, let me help you. It's like, I'm just going to do it. And like, whatever happens, happens. Here we are. Which is just like panic striking for any mother out there. As you watch your child, like jump off the five fifth step on the stairs. And she's like, no, no, it's fine. (laughs) Yes. Um, You know? Yeah. But like, I would say like six, seven months, you start to see it and you can start to kind of see like, especially like um, their profiles and like their types, like the bigger, broader kind of aspects of them, you'll start to see it there. And as they get older, you start to see like a lot of the other pieces, right? So um, another thing you can notice very quickly with younger ones is like defined versus undefined throat center. Both my girls are defined and both of them like don't shut up. But like somebody else may have a child who has an undefined throat center and like maybe they don't babble as much or, you know, maybe it takes them a little bit longer to actually start talking and forming words and sentences. And I think that some of the aspects of human design and knowing energetically like some of these things would actually help give parents a little bit of peace because I know like certain milestones when they're not hitting them, like parents freak out you freak out. You're like, Oh my God, is something wrong with my child? Like, why is this happening? And like, the thing is sometimes it just takes them a little bit longer than others to like really get comfortable energetically in like their environment and like with their energy and with their design and even just learning for themselves how to move energy. Like the interesting thing about kids is intuitively they know how to use their design. Like they are the purest form of their design that they will ever be when they're born, because there is no conditioning at that point. Everything that we do with them, not to say that it's good or bad, it's not, it's an experience. They know what they signed up for. Like, you know, so you're not gonna like ruin your child. Um, They're meant to have these experiences. They're meant to learn from them. They're meant to grow from them. They're meant to experience them so that they can learn these life lessons for their soul. And when they're little, you can literally see how a human design profile is supposed to work like in real time because they don't know any better. That's just how they are. Yeah. Yeah. You and I are similar that we, we both have children that are are very similarly designed to what we are. You know, you have that three, five emotional manifesting generated daughter. I also have a four, six manifester and I'm a four, six manifester. Um, And I think that it's very, curious to observe in this role as parent right being aware of the human design system and seeing this kind of unfiltered like unadulterated version of of design play out in childhood that can actually be quite confronting at some points yeah that for me at least yeah there's this like sense of oh that's what I could have been yeah have you found that as well it's very triggering she is my oldest who is literally the same as me basically um she is my mirror and whoa like whoa 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 (laughs) like I don't I just it kind of like almost makes me speechless because like I look at her and I see me Mm. and so it's very like 
And then everything that like all of our interactions or a lot of our interactions or like the difficult interactions. I see like me and my mom. Mm. And it's funny because like a lot of like the younger stuff, like I don't necessarily remember um, with my mom, like not that I mean, I love my mom, don't get me wrong. But like, um, I think like as a parent, especially when she had like my sister as well, like she kind of struggled because I think there was some identity like loss and she didn't know how to handle it. And like, you know, in our family, like we don't ask for help. We're just, we buck up and like go through it and it's fine. Um, But, you know, I see like when I yell because like, you know, why do you yell? Somebody's gonna die or somebody's gonna do something that's not safe or whatever. And, um, you know, to watch her reaction and then like, kind of go through this whole thing in my mind where I'm like, oh, that's like me when I was younger. And like, she's just doing what I would have been doing. And like, now I'm beating myself up for it. And like, now I'm like, well, you can't really beat yourself. Like you're learning too. And so then it becomes this whole like thing where like, you're like, how do I fix this? But like, it's not necessarily meant to be fixed. It's like a whole long list of like all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, all that to say the best lesson I think that I've learned being triggered as a parent is learning to apologize without saying, but Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah, taking ownership of my actions and saying that I was wrong. Yeah. And apologize. Yeah. Which is, I find that certainly in my experience, that's a very new concept in parenting Mm -hmm. that's certainly not something that I've ever seen done in parenting in previous generations that's what not what I experienced with my parents it's not what they experienced from their parents or you know their grandparents and going back so I think that this um this sensation that we have now this awareness that we have now of oh as a parent I'm also still a person and I'm still you know experiencing my own personal journey and the the goal of parenting is not perfection the goal of parenting is authenticity and connection, right? And, and to do that, that means sometimes I need to just be accountable and own the fact that I didn't do well or I got triggered or I made the wrong decision or I reacted in a way that I, I didn't want to and it was damaging to other people. Um, but I think that the flip side of that awareness is that it, it creates a pressure container. And this is one of the kind of, very subtle shadows that I've observed moving into using something like human design around parenting, because it, it gives us this amazing volume of information and context with which to view our children and to view ourselves and to view our family. I mean, depending how far you can get into it, like really diving into like the family penter and all that kind of stuff. It's that information, that knowledge and that awareness also seems to create this shadow where then we feel so much pressure to do it perfectly, to do mm-hmm. it really, really well. Mm-hmm. How, how do we navigate through that, right? Like how do we begin using something like human design as a system in, in parenting and in families and, and use it well, right, in an expansive and in a healing way? Grace. <laughs> so much self-compassion yeah. I mean but really like so much self-compassion I mean you know 
the th here's the thing, and, and this goes back to even what Ra has said about human design. Human design is not for adults. You know, we're all finding it now. We're all interpreting it now. It's great. It's useful, whatever. It's not for us. Mm. It's for the kids. Mm. So we've had our experiences up until like now, right? Life's a journey, you know, whatever. Until you die, you're learning. You're constantly learning. You're constantly growing. You're constantly changing. You're constantly shifting. You're having more experiences. Um, we've had our experience as children. Um, we can't change it. We can't go back. We can only take what we know and learn from it and also recognize it's really hard to break those patterns. So it's okay if you fuck it up. Am I allowed to curse? Of course. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> it's okay if you fuck it up. Again, I'm just going to reiterate this for all the parents who are listening. You're not going to fuck up your child. Your child signed a soul contract and they signed up for the experience that they are getting, whether they know it or not. You did the same thing, whether you knew it or not you're here to learn something. It's the experience they're meant to have. Does that mean that we continue to perpetuate that experience? No, you learn from it, but you're not gonna break them, mm. yeah. right? You do need to have a lot of self-compassion because you're not gonna get it right. You're just not, but you're gonna get it right for them. Mm. You're gonna be exactly who they need. You're going to show up exactly how you need to show up for them to learn whatever they need to learn. And so human design, really, it's a nice tool to have so that when things are happening, if you're struggling, if you don't know where to go with something, you can look at it and say, maybe if I approach this this way, they'll understand it better. Or maybe I can, you know, talk to them about this situation in this way and it'll help them. Or maybe if I sit down with them and I guide them through understanding their emotions, like I can help them navigate like ways to deal with these things. If they're like overacting or, you know, acting out at school or like whatever, you know, like it gives you tools so that you can pick up on cues and say, oh, they're struggling here. Maybe I can help them. Oh, they're having a hard time with this. Maybe I can help them. Maybe I can guide them through this. Maybe I can teach them how to like make those decisions in a way that is going to feel good for them. Maybe I can, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, but essentially it gives you a blueprint. Yeah. So I would look at it more as like a guide or a tool, not the end all be all. This is how I have to show up and parent my child. Hmm. Hmm. Where do you recommend people begin with that? I mean, I, the whole human design system can be incredibly overwhelming, right? And it does sort of have this like all-encompassing sense to it of when you, you get in. And now that we're getting so many more people online who are speaking about it and using it as, as part of their content and their business, there's a lot of noise about human design. Um, and I, I see it as a very layered system, like, I'm a quad left, so I'm very structural cognitively. And, I, you know, I see it very much like it's just an onion, baby, and we just go from the outside to the inside and then keep going to yes. the layers. Um, but where would you recommend that parents who are wanting to use human design as a support tool, where mm -hmm. to begin with that with their kids? I mean, you're going to start where you're going to start with yourself. You're going to start with your type. 
You're going to start with your kid's type. Your kid's type will give you so much information. Um, let's look at, I mean, you have a manifester. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have a manifester and a generator and possibly a projector. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, start with your manifester. Like you look at a manifester and you say, okay, these people march to the beat of their own drum. They're going to kind of do their own thing. It's fine. Manifestors go through cycles. So, you know, he may be really interested in one thing now, and then he may be really interested in something else in like a week. Um, there may be some weeks where he doesn't really feel like doing anything. He just wants some downtime. Um, in terms of like just activity levels, like they're going to like to do stuff in spurts, right? So they're going to need rest. They're going to need, they might nap if like you're looking at like a toddler or something like that. They may be like a napper who naps really well, but they also kind of go and do whatever they need to do. Um, and they kind of just work like that. Um, they, it's helpful for them to have like a set bedtime and a bedtime routine. It's helpful for any type really to sleep in their own space. So like if they sleep in their own space, that's awesome for them. It helps them really clear out any of the open areas in their chart and recharge their energy. Um, in terms of eating, manifestors kind of eat like projectors if I remember correctly in my mind, um, they, they do better with like kind of small meals sometimes. And depending on your arrows, if you like structure or not, they maybe will eat more on a schedule versus like passive eating. So like type can give you a ton of information, like just there, you can look at their activity. You can look at like many gens will have many, many interests generators. They will be able to focus on things. Many gens, my many gens, they don't sit and eat. Hello. No, that doesn't happen. They're doing other things. They're constantly moving. Even if they're sitting, they're kicking things. Like they don't sit still. Um, whereas like projectors, they rest. I don't know what that's like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the four and like how do projectors rest? Wild. Yeah. I don't, know. I don't know what that's like. My manifesting generators are up at 6 a.m. And like, you know, the little one currently takes two naps. The older one, like, sometimes naps once a day and sometimes doesn't but if she naps she's up until 11 o'clock at night so who knows um yeah it's insanity but like there's little things like that from types you can see if you want to get a little more nuanced and you want to talk about maybe learning styles top if you're looking at the paper top left arrow if it's pointing to the right passive so they are going to be like, they're passive learners. Um, I believe I'm a passive learner. So like I can listen to things and do other things and still learn things. Um, sometimes I need to like listen to things multiple times or hear them different ways for me to pick them up. But like, it's all up here. Sometimes I just need a little help recalling it. Active learners, they need to like actively be learning, like actively like I'm learning, like I'm paying attention, I'm learning. If you wanna look at cognition, there's like six different cognitions. Um, I'm a touch cognition. So like for me, I learn best when I am touching it. So like actually listening to things doesn't work great for me. I do much better if I'm reading or if I'm writing. So like if I have to listen to something, I'd like to take notes if it's something that I need to like remember because writing the notes, touching will help me learn. Um, so you can start looking into that for your kids if like that's something that you're interested in. Um, you can get into like all the digestion and stuff like that, but that's a lot. Um, so I think like type the top left arrow if you're looking at the paper and 
uh, cognition are probably like really good places if you're like just getting your feet wet. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think that just really understanding in detail, kind of like outside of those very superficial understandings of, um, you know, generators and manifesting generators have a lot of energy and, you know, manifestors like to make their own rules and projectors like to focus on stuff. When we go deeper into understanding energy types, um, I think that's really significant in the whole dynamics of parent to child because it helps you appreciate how your energy type is impacting your child and how your child needs to be receiving the world, you know, based on their energy. And um, it's exactly like you said, this, they're naturally playing out those roles anyway. I think Mm -hmm. that our responsibility is really to not interfere with that as much Mm -hmm. as possible. And, you know, as a parent with a projector, a generator and a manifester, all three of my children are just, I mean, we got the whole spectrum. Our dog's a reflector. I feel like we're, we're like pretty well made up here. We just need like an MG thrown in somewhere. Um, like they are so different. They're so unique in their own capacities. The way that they were as babies was completely different. The way that they did their toddlerhood years was completely different. You know, my kids are all kind of going through like grade school, primary school age now and, and going into high school. So now we get to see some some additional layers and some different aspects of how their profiles are interacting with each other, how they're starting to do executive decision making and like really using those inner authorities and the different ways that they do that. Um, I've got two emotional authority kids. We're really spending a lot of time. Thank God we have a lot of it because we're in lockdown. So we've been working really hard on helping them identify those emotional waves, right? Like my projector is a tribal wave. My manifester is an individual wave. They experience their emotions very differently, even though they're both emotional authorities. So um, I think it's, it's helpful just to at least allow your children to guide the way on that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then human design as a system creates some great language, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, from my tribal wave emotional projector son, you know, the tribal wave is a really intense wave. That's really That's yeah, it's really extreme. <laughs> and, um, you know, when he reaches that that dip down, he reaches kind of that nosedive off the edge, he really does feel very hopeless. He feels like everything is kind of broken and there's there's no point in living. There's no there's no point in being or doing or or anything. And um, it's been so valuable to be able to give him that language to say. This is just the end of the emotional wave, bud. Like, this is mm-hmm. this is just yeah. where we're at. In twenty four hours, you're going to be back to where you mm-hmm. were before. Um, instead of viewing it as a, a problem that needs to be solved. And well, it's isn't that experience beautiful? Like that. You know, my kids are younger, so we don't do that yet. We'll, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> but like, you know. Whereas like sometimes people would look at that and say like, oh, like what's going on here, Mm. right? You can literally look at it and be like, it's fine. Like, yeah, you're having a day. Tomorrow it'll be okay. Like, this is just how you function. It's okay. It doesn't make you weird. It's not wrong. It's nothing we have to fix. You just need to process things this way. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this understanding that 
uh, different doesn't mean incorrect, right? And I, I'm not an emotional authority. I'm splenic. I have absolutely no concept of what it's like to, to live life through an emotional wave. For me, it just seems like emotional noise and chaos, right? Um, and so I, I don't need to understand mm-hmm. why that experience is correct. I just need to understand that it is his right. experience and he just, right. gets, he just gets to have it. Yeah. And um, I think in those ways, human design has made parenting a little bit easier. There is that kind of peace element that you touched on before. There's a bit of a surrender to it to yeah. say, this, I, don't, I don't have to make you like me and I don't have to make you like everybody else. I can mm-hmm. just allow you to be you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, you can get into like the dynamics and everybody being in the house and like all that good stuff. Like, I think that's a little bit like beyond the scope of maybe this call. You could do a whole separate call on that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But like, yeah, I mean, everyone is going to experience it. It is important to recognize how your energy is going to affect someone else's and vice versa. Right. So, you know, understanding that like he's going to experience that wave. And then also he may get some of like his siblings wave as well here and there and and vice versa and you being undefined will also experience them and so if you're not taking care of your energy you're just going to amplify that energy right so like recognizing like maybe i just need to step away um or maybe we all need to just take some time like separated or like you know we just need to come back to this tomorrow when everybody has like reset their energy all those things, instead of having like these blow up fights or something like that, like it's literally, it just gives you like that kind of tool to say, oh, this is getting out of hand. This is probably why. Let's walk away and come back to this later. Mm. And yeah, instead of like having a continuous argument about like whatever. Mm. And yeah. that also practice because like when you get heated in the moment like how hard is it to just be like just kidding let's just drop it (laughs) exactly exactly there's a lot as an emotional authority but i'm going like i'm going (laughs) an emotional authority with the mg energy behind it yeah once the train is on the track it's moving going yes yes we have a lot of um People in this this community, in terms of the audience listening to this podcast, who who are not manifestors, but they actually come to listen because they have manifested children. And mm. um, I know, as having been a manifestor child myself, and now having a manifestor child, that it is a really, really unique and very strange experience to. Yeah to do childhood as a manifester. Um, And I certainly had parents that did not understand that. And uh, my father himself is a a splenic manifester, just like me. And so there was always sort of an affinity between the two of us, but my mother is an MG and did not get it. And and realistically still, still doesn't much. (laughs) I mean, she tries a little bit more now. Um, But even as a manifester parent to a manifest child, there is a very kind of distinct way that Mm -hmm. that manifested children experience the world and when we don't have that nurtured and we don't have that supported and provided um it very quickly becomes a trauma for us because it's this like invasion of our energetic sovereignty 
yeah, we, it's kind of like a chink to our armor. Um, and it's something that I'm really mindful of as a parent is, is uh, creating an expansive life for my son where he does get to follow his own cycles and his own rhythms and create his own rules where possible, you know, like don't run out on the road in front of a car, but you can decide what you want for dinner. Yeah. Um, and, and also trying to create some of those protective measures so that he doesn't experience the, the trauma that I did. Do you have any insights for people, I guess, in terms of like that bridge, that connection of, um, you know, when we're not really able to experience our own energy and, and be in alignment with that, it creates this trauma. How, how do we as parents navigate that with manifested children and with other energy types too? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great question. Mm. I'm going to first say I, I don't have manifestor children. I don't even think like I have a parent who's a manifestor. I have a friend who's a manifestor. I seem to be very drawn to manifestors or they like me. I'm not sure which it is. I don't have any in my immediate family, but I can imagine being a manifestor growing up and hearing no a lot really would be trauma inducing for you. Mm. Yes. Um, so I think with manifestors, like my biggest thing, and I'm glad you brought this up. The biggest thing that I, I would say with manifestors is allow them to make as many decisions as humanly possible, as long as they're safe without saying no, mm. because they are the only type who initiates really. They're the only type who like has these divine downloads. It's like, I'm going to go do something. And, and the way that, you know, the way Ra will tell you, if you read any of the raw stuff is like, instead of having them just go do things, um, which actually would be like, after we've experienced, you know, so many times we're literally just going to like take it into our own hands and like not say anything about it. And we're just going to go do it. Um, which leads to a whole other set of issues, like have them ask permission. And that's kind of like the bridge to getting them to initiating things, right. Is they're asking permission, but keeping in mind, if you're going to teach them to ask permission, you need to say yes, mm. far more often than you're saying no. You get to say no when it's like endangering lives. Like, and that's kind of like, you know, you, you have to keep in mind, you know, no needs to be reserved for things you genuinely have like a reason to say no for. Mm -hmm. um, and I think just being open and honest with them and explaining why you're saying no, right? Like, it can't be like, no, because I said so, which I'm guilty of saying, 100% will own that. Um, but like being mindful of that, like, you know, and it takes practice. So again, you're not going to get it right. Like the first time or the fifth time or like the 20th time probably, but like, you know, just every day you, you get a little bit better, you know, every day, maybe like you recognize like, oh, I want I say you no know, because like this is going to be like a big deal kind of thing to do and try so today we get it right you know and like that's a win for you and it's a win for your kid and <clears throat> just maintaining open lines of communication also you know like if you say no especially if it's an emotional authority you might want to expect a meltdown <laughs> Yeah, just yeah. throw that one out there. Yeah. So you need to then be prepared 
to handle said meltdown? And how are you going to do that? Because then you're talking about a whole other set of like, how are we going to like, quote unquote, traumatize our children? We can't tell them to suck it up. I mean, you could, but like really the better option is like, you're allowed to be upset. I understand that you're upset. And let them have their feelings. Now, if it's like tantrum, we're screaming our full head off and screaming at the parent. That's kind of when I'm like, you may have your feelings, but if you need to scream, you need to go to your room. Hmm. You know, like there are boundaries. Um, I think it all comes down to like respect. Hmm. Yeah. I have a Manny Jen at my door. Yes, Addie, the door's unlocked. What's up? brief brief interlude to welcome Addie into the call the little mg who needed to give mummy a kiss welcome Addie you're here with ice cream on your face and doing a big effort to be quiet (laughs) human design in real life I love it um where where do you feel there is this intersection of trauma and, mm-hmm. and working with understanding trauma, because I know that that's another significant aspect of what you do. Um, that's the work that I've done with you and you weave it so beautifully kind of in you know, the way that only MGs can do, you know, like this complexity yeah. of so many different things coming together into one place. How do you see that trauma plays a role in our life journey? High conditioning, hello, welcome. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like if you're looking at it from purely a human design perspective, basically replace conditioning with trauma and like kind of, there you go. Um, a lot of our experiences that like were traumatic for us, they're gonna create that conditioning. It creates that imprint, right? So like the work we're doing with trauma is really looking at like, how can we release that conditioning so that we can step further into our alignment? How can we get to that place where it no longer really because because the goal isn't like to like correct course and go swing completely opposite direction right the the goal is to have it no longer have bearing on us right so that we can function without making this a calculated thought based on our trauma like what's a good example um you know uh i can't i can't like leave my job and like run a business because like I've been told so many times that like, I have to work in a job or like, you know, I've, I've been conditioned to believe that society only respects those who like work a nine to five. Um, and so like, that's the only way that I can like really function and provide like this life for my family is by, by doing this, because this is what I've been conditioned to think and conditioned to do. And not only that, like I've witnessed it in my life, right? Like I've, I've witnessed my parents fighting over money because somebody doesn't have a job. And so to me, a nine to five job, this is all I can do to keep my family safe. And learning to not make decisions based on that, holding yourself and saying, I know you're scared. I know this has happened in the past. I know this is what you think will happen in the future because of this, but that's simply not true. Mm. Showing up for yourself, holding yourself, letting yourself know it's okay that you're afraid because it is okay. Your feelings are valid. And, and a lot of times we don't have that validation when the trauma is actually happening. And showing up and doing that literally every single day until like, it's no longer scary. Mm. 
I love that broader brushstroke understanding of, of trauma, right? Applying it to that, that context of conditioning, because um, I think that the way that we've come to understand or, or believe in trauma so far is that it's about a traumatic experience that it has to be this significant major event and certainly there are a lot of us that have had one or more significant major events to cause trauma Um, but trauma really does apply to to any invasion and any disruption of of your natural energetic alignment and Mm -hmm. I, I think the part that we need to begin to understand particularly as we all move into this space now where we're more aware of energy and and uh we're more aware of energetic sovereignty and individualism and all of those things as we go through this paradigm shift um is that all of those disruptions all of those I guess micro traumas really are are held in your body, right? Mm-hmm. And and so these thought processes that we're having that mm-hmm. create these belief systems are really the tip of the iceberg. And mm-hmm. there's so much more that is going on underneath that. And so often when we're doing this work of, you know, limiting beliefs or trying to um, neural reprogram, that's all fantastic. And I'm a big supporter of those things. However, they're one piece of a very complex pie that needs to be addressed. How, how would you encourage people to begin to look further down into that iceberg? Like how can people kind of tap further than just their mind when they're dealing with traumas? Yeah. So we like to think trauma to death. Like we like to like mind game it, right? We're going to like, we're going to fix this with our brain. We're going to fix it. And like, again, it comes back to, it's not fixing. You're not fixing. There's nothing wrong with you because X, Y, Z happened. Like that's not, it's just, you are who you are because of your experiences. And like, part of it is learning to embrace that. And then part of it is, you know, it can't be a mind game. It's, it's learning to reconnect with your your body so interesting human design actually you can like connect the different centers to different parts of your body right so then you can actually like draw parallels to like where disease might be like causing disease like it's very interesting um to get into all that stuff but you need to be able to get into your body and really ask and like i think the best way when i was going through my certification you know the best way to do this is to like have a person like set an alarm on their clock like three times a day and ask what you're feeling and what you need. And people have a really hard time identifying what they're feeling. Like they're so numbed out to their feelings that they don't know what they're feeling. They can't identify like, you know, anxiety or um, exhaustion or um, what's another feeling like hopelessness or hope or like they just, they can't, they, they can't feel anything. And so then if that's you, that's okay. Maybe, maybe you're just feeling numb, you know, or you, you could try to dive a little bit deeper and say, that's interesting. I don't really feel like I feel anything. What's coming up in my body and do like a body scan. Am I feeling like tightness in my shoulders? Am I feeling like butterflies in my stomach? Am I feeling like a pain somewhere? Am I noticing like pain in my jaw? Or like, where are you holding tension in your body? And then what do you need? What do I need to like release this? Do I need to get up and go for a walk? Do I need to stretch? 
do I need to take a bath tonight? Do I, you know, and like, let it come to you intuitively. Normally I would say for most that thing that comes to you immediately, go with that, <laughs> go with that immediate answer. Like if you're talking to yourself in your head or out loud, like whatever, like that, go with that immediate answer, but just start practicing feeling because you would be shocked how many people literally can't feel mm. like we're so disconnected from that. We can't even begin to feel. Yeah. And additionally, I mean, part of a trauma response is that disassociation yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a protective measure, particularly when we do move into the realm of like more significant traumas, whether yeah. we're talking about, yeah. you know, abuse or medical traumas or, um, you know, relationship traumas, all of those kind of things. Um, but we can't, we can't think our way back into connection. Yeah. There is this space mm -hmm. of if I can just allow myself to, feel whatever it is that I'm feeling without logic and without sense, then I can kind of grab onto the end of that string and just bit by bit by bit that will unravel and I can, I can get to some answers further down the line. And I think um, that's probably been one of the most important lessons for me over many, many years of, of trauma work because I, you know, I am a person, very classic six line, like my first 30 years were just every possible major life trauma that I could experience. No stone unturned, did it all, fantastic. And then it abruptly stopped at my 30th birthday around about there. Um, and so I think that there does need to be a lot of space again for that grace and for that self-compassion to say, this took a long time to create right like these even micro traumas there's a lot of them there's millions of them and they've built up over time and so it's not going to be you know one one healing retreat one mastermind one three-month container with a coach or or a, you know trauma expert this is going to be decades if not the remainder of your life working mm -hmm. on these things and so can we just surrender giving ourselves that grace and giving ourselves that space to just kind of fall into it and mm -hmm. allow that to, to then be a daily practice and I think that that's really that in my experience is where the expansion is mm -hmm. that that's where the answers are and so I think it's really valuable for people to have that capacity of um having space held for them by somebody else and and just to put context for everyone I mean that's the work that I did with with Brittany and um you know I've done a lot of a lot of work a lot of like self-awareness work and energetics work and um trauma work a lot of it but I had reached kind of a pocket of that where I couldn't quite see it myself I couldn't quite grab that string and just having somebody who could hold that space and, and reflect that down a bit gave me access to it. So I think that there's huge value in doing that, but there's, there's almost this like counterbalance of saying it's not somebody else who's going to provide this kind of one and done healing for you. It's, it's this collaborative effort. Yeah. To be honest, um, I don't heal you, you heal you. Like, like really, if I'm being honest, like it's not me, it's you. All I'm doing is basically reflecting back to you what you're feeling 
I, or bird's eye view, seeing pieces of things and connecting dots and reflecting them back to you so that you can see the pieces. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this makes sense. And then like, you know, let's throw in some human design fun things. And like, you know, maybe we'll try like doing a future vision kind of type thing, or maybe we'll do some declaring and affirming or like, you know, it depends on what your chart looks like. Right. So, but I think that, I think the big thing is, you know, find somebody who number one, you trust somebody who number two can hold space for you. Somebody who number three is not promising to like heal you because really it's a lifelong thing. Like, but somebody who has the knowledge and the tools that they can give you so that when you're done working with them, you can do this on your own. And then if you need help, you can go back, you know, and, and get like somebody to like work with you to like loosen it up, to free it up so that you can expand some more. And, you know, like you said earlier, it's peeling back the layers of the onion or, you know, whatever. Um, and you're constantly digging deeper and you're constantly like going through this and like things you thought you healed will come back up. And it's like, I thought I already dealt with this. What the hell's going on? But then like, you can go a little bit deeper and like also, you know, that the person that you're working with should be able to hold you in a space that is safe. And that's like the biggest thing. If you're getting to a point where you're peeling stuff back and you're feeling overwhelmed, they need to be able to like recognize that and pull you back to safety. Um, Holly has done a lot of this work. And so like, we didn't need to necessarily set up a safety anchor and kind of do all that kind of stuff. Like she knows her boundaries and she was very well versed and I was not super concerned. If I was working with anybody else, like the first thing that we would do would be like, you know, we need to find your safety and we need to practice grounding into your safety before we do anything else. Mm. Yeah. And I, I mean, to bring that full circle, really, um, safety plays a really pivotal role for manifestors. It's, it's huge. You know, there's, I think safety and trust are the two key life journey lessons <laughs> for us because um, safety for us is something that always feels like it's under threat because of the, the way that, you know, we're, we're bringing stuff from nothingness into somethingness, right, where... And that's always going to meet some level of resistance and some level of control and some level of, you know, aggression or threat amongst other people. And so safety often is threatened, whether it's the perception of it being threatened or whether it's the reality of it, that's a very normal thing for manifestors. Um, and we then kind of experience that on an internal level with this sense of trust of, can, can I trust my mechanics here? Can I trust this thing that I'm sensing, but I'm not seeing that um, it's up to me to trust mm -hmm. this energy and to trust this vision and, and to bring it through. So I think that this work, and, you know, this is part of, of why I really wanted to bring you on to speak about this as well, is I, I think that this work around safety, around trust, around understanding what what trauma is and how it affects it and how we carry it and, and how that then shows up symptomatically for us, this is vital for all manifestors. This is a, a hugely key element in our ability to be powerful initiators and release ourselves into that space, that it's not just a matter of learning how to inform or understanding our rest cycle or our creative cycle, right? There is this, there's this depth to it that we need to go on a very individual journey 
of understanding um, and it's like the sum of all of these parts <laughs> is what creates that power that people see on the outside. So, um, you know, I've done that in a lot of different ways and, and with a lot of different people in a lot of different systems. I mean, my cognition is taste, so <laughs> I'm always going to be doing it, you know, with yeah. test this over here and try it this way and have this yeah. little adventure and what about this person and this system and this concept? Um, but I really, I loved doing the style of work that that we did together that very kind of hybrid system um if people are wanting to learn more about that understand more of your work potentially get into some of your spaces how how do they do that how do they find you where are you i'm on instagram right now i'm on the instagram um i'm at for the conscious mama um i i currently I'm working on a masterclass actually. It's going to go over mostly um, solar plexus emotional stuff, but we're going to do it. It's a four part masterclass. I know this is coming out in December and like we're recording it in like the beginning of October. So like, um, but it's a four part masterclass. Um, we're going to go through, you know, understanding your own personal solar plexus energetics in dynamics with children in dynamics with significant other spouse and also career business. Um, so we're going to kind of take you on a journey. <laughs> um, with that. But other than that, also, I do have one-on-one -on -one spaces. I am opening up space for one-on-one -on -one clients. And actually, um, I do offer like boxer only kind of like one-on-one -on -one support. So like, it's kind of like having an HD consultant, like in your back pocket for, so somebody that you just like, you're struggling with the, you know, getting something right, or you can't quite figure out like what's going on. Like I'm there for you in boxer 24 seven. It's kind of like not really one-on-one, -on -one, but it's also like, having somebody there for support, not just like a program. So like, you know, there's like that nice in between. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm really kind of focusing more on like a one-on-one -on -one practice because there's like a lot of shifts happening in my life, but by December, who's to say? That manifest energy, like, I don't know what's happening in two months time from here. Whenever we no, release I've this got, episode no, I... in December, right? just <clears throat> jump on where Brittany's at and find out what she's doing who knows what it's going to be <laughs> I will I mean like I can imagine for two months time like I will have one-on-one -on -one spots I will probably always have one-on-one -on -one spots because I personally like my culture do well in partnership so you know one-on-one -on -one spots here we are um but yeah so definitely one-on-one -on -one. keep your eyes peeled for programs I'm sure they'll come up or like random master classes I'm sure they'll come up um but yeah those things I know for sure are happening so I love it well we of course we'll have all of the relevant links and stuff linked below in the show notes so definitely jump in there follow Brittany see what she's got going on if you are considering doing any of that more um, intensive intimate one-on-one -on -one work I personally attest that she's she's exceptional and she's beautiful and creates an amazing sense of safety and depth and really provides a space of healing. So if that's something that appeals to you, jump on, follow her, check her out. Thank you so much, Brittany, for being here. And to Addie, who was briefly with us <laughs> until she got bored and went away somewhere else. But thank you for being here. It's been a real joy and a real pleasure to, to share so many of your insights. Yes. Thank you for having me. I, you know, anytime I get to share about this stuff, it's just like, 
yay more people like I don't even care if you come to me like for anything like but like you listened and you learned so like yay we're expanding (laughs) (laughs) absolutely Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hunting for Purpose podcast. I hope that my words, my sharing and the spiritual wisdom that came through today's episode have a magnificently transforming impact on your life. If you love this episode, I would be so humbly and truly grateful if you would share it on your social media. You can tag me on Instagram or Facebook at The Holly Marie. And also please consider taking a moment to leave a review right here on iTunes so that this information, this podcast and this spiritual transformation can be spread to even more people. Again, I cannot wait to see you for the next episode of Hunting for Purpose.